Welcome to the Story Engine. I'm Tristan Verboven. You're listening to Part 4 of the Hannibal and the Fight for Big Water Trilogy. This supplementary episode is available to you because you are a faithful listener and a friend of the podcast. If you enjoy this episode, please recommend it to others by getting them to subscribe to the page or joining the Story Engine podcast on Facebook. The podcast is still totally free. We simply ask in return that you pass it on to others or post it on your own page. And thank you for your continued support. Now that you're a member, feel free to share your comments and feedback. We want to know what you think. Anyways, back to the story. In this episode, we find seven hills at peace. Almost nobody can remember firsthand the horrible days when Hannibal terrorized Big Water with his murderous band of rebels. But we interrupt this 50 years of peace, brought to you by the defeat of Hannibal by Skippy the African, for yet another showdown. Yes, dear listener... We have not seen the last of Kartha. It is dawn, and the chill of night is quietly being broken by the hot, rising sun. Our rider, by this light, sees a tent as he approaches the hilltop. The silhouettes of a dozen or so military men are huddled at the crest of the hill. While one team of native servants tends to their horses, another puts breakfast on tables. Our rider is a young man, not much older than a boy, but he bears the markings of an officer of seven hills. He's greeted warmly by the group of officers. The oldest among them introduces him as he dismounts. Gentlemen, meet our distinguished guest, Skippy the African. The huddle salutes him with a fraternal cheer. Please, please. That was my father's name, he jokes. My friends call me Junior. (laughs) The men chuckle at this. Every schoolboy in Seven Hills knows the name of his heroic father and grandfather, who saved them from Hannibal Barca and his fearsome band of rebels all those years ago. I was surprised at the news of your visit to Cartha, Junior, and that you ride alone, without your men. The campaign is going well in España? You might say, says Junior, keeping the familiar tone. I never hesitate to draw on my father's legacy for inspiration in the battlefield. And so... I've come to find some of those elephants the Cartha so famously rode against us. Upon my arrival, I was greeted by some envoys from Masinissa, chief of the Numidian tribe. He'll sell me some of his best. They told me that I would have a rare chance to see them in action. What great fortune that you chose this day to come here, laughs the older officer. The Cartha have raised an army, and they're marching on Masinissa now. You're just in time to see them taking position. 
Sure enough, from the hilltop camp, they can see the entire spectacle unfolding. To the east, old Masinissa himself, and the Numidian cavalry, with several columns of archers and spearmen, taking position in the grassy field across from their opponent. And sure enough, behind them stands a cohort of the ghastly beasts. You got a great view from up here, says Junior, with genuine admiration. Must be rare pleasure for a commander to watch two enemies battle in the field without a man of his own at stake, says the older officer. It's rare sport indeed. Since none of us have a single boot in the field, Junior, would you care to make a wager on today's outcome? He takes a long pause to size up the armies before him. This Massinissa I know well. He's as ruthless as he is cunning. He once fought with Hannibal, only to betray his own father to serve my father and secure victory for Seven Hills. His horsemen are the finest in the world. And while he's an old man now, he seems to have all the grace and power of a young hunter. Then he looks at the Cartha camp. It always worries me when Cartha takes up arms. But I can't imagine, with the ruinous tax my father placed on them all those years ago, that they could produce much of a fighting force. You must know something I don't. Who's their general? You will find it amusing to know that his name is none other than Hasdrubal. The officers all look at Junior's reaction to this name. Hasdrubal? Well... This is quite the family reunion, he says. Is he any relation to the Hasdrubal who fought my father at Ebro River? And the officers <laughs> chuckle. I doubt it, replies the older officer, smiling. It's a very popular name. Seems like every second Kartha is named Hasdrubal. Masinissa, too. You'll meet quite a few of them. But this one, nobody knows anything about him. Except that he's been pushing the Cartha Tribal Council to war ever since the Numidians first raided their border. That goes against our treaty, says Junior. Cartha needs permission from Seven Hills to put an army in the field. The Tribal Council knows better than that. They've been asking for our help for years, says the officer. They won't get any help from the Council back home, laughs Junior. Most folks in Seven Hills wouldn't lift a finger to help a dirty Cartha. If Councilman Cato had his way, they'd be erased from the earth completely. Still, Junior continues, they've brought quite an impressive force today. Never underestimate them. I can't help but feel a strange kinship with this Hasdrubal. If he's anything like his namesake... We should be in for a good show today. I'll put my wager on him. After all, his fate is already sealed. If he wins the day, he will have to answer to Seven Hills for breaking our treaty. But if he loses, well, we won't have to bother. I'll take that wager then, young Skippy. The officer extends his hand. If Hasdrubal's defeated... 
you leave me here with that fine horse you rode in on. And if he wins, I will have yours. The men all cheered heartily at this contest. Come then, Junior. You are my guest here. I can already hear the war trumpets. Let's sit together and enjoy the match. This is a fine bit of soldiering, I must say. But neither side seems to want to win badly enough for anyone to lose. Maybe they're saving themselves, returns Junior. Must be said, though, that Numidia raises the finest beasts of war. I fear today our wager will not be settled to anyone's satisfaction. No sooner has he said this when Masinissa's horsemen make a bold maneuver to corner Kartha's main thrust, and as Drubal finds himself cornered on a hilltop. With his army scattered in the field, he concedes the battle and the two warriors meet to discuss terms. The dust settles in the plains below. Junior and his fellow officers watch as Masinissa and Hasdrubal make their way to meet each other face to face. It's time for Seven Hills to step in, says Junior, as he turns to his host. Servant, fetch my horse. There's no man better suited than you as an arbitrator. I shall accompany you to their tent. The men ride down to where the negotiations are being held. The entrance is flanked by elite guardsmen from each of the armies, but Junior ignores them as he throws the flap open. Masinissa and his entourage gasp and immediately kneel to their visitor. Without missing a beat, Hasdrubal, who remains seated, greets the visitor. As usual, the messenger from Seven Hills arrives late to the party. Without losing his composure, Junior replies, Why do you sit in the presence of an officer of Seven Hills? Kneel at once! I am Hasdrubal, commander of the Kartha, and as long as I am with my army, I will kneel to no man. Hasdrubal rises to meet Junior eye to eye, and certainly not to a boy. Junior locks his gaze. You will command no army as long as you have a treaty with Seven Hills. Your treaty is worthless, scowls his drubal. You let us keep no army, and the Numidians raid our lands with impunity. Yet Seven Hills is too careless or powerless to keep the peace. What do we pay a tribute for? You pay a tribute to repay the impudence of your Hannibal Barca and his savage rebellion. Cartha has given enough. We have more than repaid our debt. Now that our great city is under my protection, and I vow to see Cartha unburdened by Seven Hills' yoke. 
Junior smirks at this. Woe to the vanquished. He and his fellow officers share a chuckle. You shall pay until Seven Hills says it is enough, and you shall pay for your folly today. Without awaiting a reply, he turns to Masinissa. As the son of Skippy the African, your conqueror and master, I declare this victory for Numidia. He turns back to Hasdrubal. In addition to your usual tribute, you shall pay an equal one to Masinissa. He will return his army to Numidia, and you shall return yours to Cartha, where it will be disbanded. As the officers turn to leave, Junior turns to Masinissa. When you are finished here, we have some business to discuss, as Drubal sneers. And where's your army then? Should anyone not satisfy your terms? Junior calls back over his shoulder. Pray that you never meet it, Hasdrubal. Pray that you never meet it. And so we have it, dear listener. Fifty years after the defeat of Hannibal at the plains of Zama. And there is still among the Cartha those who will defy the pale-skinned people of Seven Hills. Much has changed in fifty years. Seven Hills is no longer a struggling community of settlers. They've spread far and wide across big water. The tribes that once fought with Hannibal now must fight Seven Hills alone. And who better to subdue them than the son and the grandson of Skippy himself? And how better than with those very fearsome giants that once followed them into battle? Come, let me embrace you, says Masinissa, taking Junior into his arms. You must forgive an old man for his sentiment. But the sight of you brings back memories of your late father. Coming here makes me think of him too, replies the lad. The old chief sits before him on a finely woven rug, draped in ornate feathered regalia. Animal skins drape the leathery reddish skin that holds together an aging muscular frame. You are still little more than a common soldier, but you carried the family legacy with you today. There's a lot of Skippy the African in you. If things do not improve in Cartha, you may have the chance to make your own name here. Junior chuckles politely. It is a great honor to hear such kind words from a man who served my father so well. But my orders are to return to Espana, and as soon as possible with some of your finest war elephants. You will have them, replies Masinissa without hesitation. And may your enemies there finally see the wisdom in Seven Hills' peace as we have here in Numidia. If only Cartha could find the same but they remain defiant. Masinissa looks pensively into the lamp that burns between them. At my age, what little time I have, I can all but live in the present and the past. But Cartha does not see that their days have passed. 
that we all must accept the future as it comes. As your father once said, Prepare for war if you cannot endure peace. The two men sit for some time together, and the old warrior shares his stories of battles they fought together against Hannibal in the Great War. And when they part, Masinissa once again embraces him as he would his own son. It is late when Junior leaves the great tent, and weary from the long ride back to his camp, he builds a fire and takes to sleeping under the stars in the depth of slumber, no doubt conjured by these tales of heroism dancing in the forking flames. He is startled by none other than the vision of Skippy himself. While Junior's face is stricken with alarm, Skippy looks down on him with serenity. Do not succumb to fear, my son. There is no place for that here. Junior gently sits up in his bed so as not to wake himself from his days. It is no accident that you find yourself here, in Cartha. At this very moment, you arrive at a turning point in the fate of our people. No accident, replies Junior. Do you know of some plot I'm unwittingly part of? Skippy laughs. A plot, yes. Yes, you might say that, a plot indeed. I am not here to warn you of some political machination of men. For in death, we cease to deal in such trivial earthly matters. At our end, we soar away from the bonds of our bodies, and our life is nothing more than our death. But even in life, your body, your people, your cities, and your ambitions are nothing more than the stars you see in the sky. And even in stars themselves live and die like men. What do they want with me then? Oh, they have big plans, my son. Skippy raises his hand in the direction of the city of Cartha. Your destiny is to serve your people. Acquire the highest rank among them and use this power to destroy Cartha. Cartha is weak, father. Th they are no threat to us. They are weak. Yes, but they were once a bright star. Cartha holds a life force in their dwindling flicker that upon death will burn a deep and powerful flame. A hellfire so hot and so bright that demons shall spit forth from the earth and those who gaze into the embers shall release all of their hate and wickedness and humanity into its flames. It will consume them and all of their gods and all of their wealth and all of their gravity. Then 
the blades shall plunge into darkness. The ashes will cool so black that nothing will remain but a single particle. And the energy from that fire shall spread to feed the living, and the black hole left in its place shall give new life. Junior stays silent at these words. Do not look at me with such fear. Such is the life of stars and cities and of men, my son. Nothing happens in the world more pleasing to the supreme God who governs the universe than the gathering of men to a common purpose and a common law. Cartha does not share in Seven Hills' peace, and so it will die alone. At this, Junior stands up. Surely there's but a small part of for me in this design. I, I'm just an officer. I, I'm scarcely more than a boy. But his own words awake him to find himself in the vastness of the desert night. The spirit of Skippy the African has dissolved into the glowing stars that cloak the heavens in marble. And Skippy the African Junior falls back again into deep sleep. So what of our wager, says Junior to the old officer who has so warmly hosted him during his stay. In the early morning light, Junior has prepared his wagon train and cohort of war elephants for the long voyage back. You're right, Junior, replies the officer. Despite your admirable leadership in arranging peace, the conflict is still unresolved. As Drubal remains stubborn... Yet the Cartha Tribal Council claims that their commander does not act on their behalf. Someday we'll settle our bet once this conflict is over. This conflict never seems to end, says Junior, looking forward at the long road ahead. Imagine that we're still cleaning up after Hannibal Barca's mess. Go and fight your war in Hispania, young Skippy. Cartha has sent an envoy to Seven Hills to resolve this once and for all. They'll find no mercy there, says Junior. They go there with blood still on their hands, laughs the officer. I fear, my friend, that we shall all have blood on our hands by the end of this. At this, Junior sets off on his journey back to his campaign. But we do not follow him there. Instead, dear listener, we go to the heart of Seven Hills, where the Cartha envoy throw themselves at the feet of hungry wolves. The hungry wolves in question are none other than Councilman Cornelius and Councilman Cato, who, as we speak, are listening with great interest to the Cartha story, as they sit in their grand chairs looking down on the wretched before deciding their fate. There was nothing we could do to stop him. You must believe us. 
has Drubal, on his own accord, despite our firm objections, raised this army himself. He could not stand by while the Numidians raided our meagre lands. He could not stand by awaiting Seven Hills' protection. His words, of course, while our people were under threat. We desperately tried to talk him down. We told him of the great friendship we have with Seven Hills, and how we only wanted peace and— Enough wallowing already! moans Cato. Surely you did not come all this way to tell us that old weary tale. You have broken the treaty, and you must make it right with Seven Hills. We wish no ill towards our treaty, only that we are left with our lands. We, we have banished Hasdrubal and his traitors, and his army is no more, and, and we shall continue to pay our tributes, and to Massinissa as— Skippy Jr. so gratefully arranged, if it will bring peace again. Cato and Cornelius exchange a glance, and then Cato brushes them away. You know perfectly well what is necessary. You are now dismissed. As soon as the envoy leaves the room, Cornelius turns to Cato. Is there any hope for them? This has gone long enough, replies Cato. Remind me again why we allow these savages to stay on Big Water? They are harmless creatures, he replies. And they pay their tributes on time and in full. Not to mention, they supply much of the food we eat. But they are not harmless. And this has Drubal and his rebel army. We've seen this before. We cannot have Seven Hills' food supply come from such a place. Cornelius gives a great sigh. If we are to do this, we must make the most of it. I will not see Carthus wealth go up in flames. Not until we have our hands on it first. Let's keep our heads about this. Come morning... When the envoys return to Cartha, we'll follow them with our fleet, and an attachment large enough to destroy the city. There's no other way, my dear Cornelius. Cartha must... I know, Counselor, I know. Cartha must burn. Cartha must burn, I know. And indeed it will, my dear listener. But there is a long road ahead. For the Cartha may claim to be a peaceful people, but we have seen what they can be when their great city is threatened. And now we must cross Big Water again, to the heart of the beleaguered Cartha, where the anxious elders gather in the great hall of the Cartha Tribal Council to hear a message from Seven Hills. The messenger reads it aloud. Marshals Manley and Sansorin have arrived in the nearby town of Utica with a fleet and a large expeditionary force. In light of the recent militarization and overall disregard for our treaties by the Cartha people, the Council at Seven Hills must now take the necessary measures to ensure peace on big water. <laughs> 
If Carthage wishes to have this peace and continue to be master of its own city, they must deliver to the safekeeping of our authority and without delay 300 hostages from among the children of the noble families of Carthage. Only with this arrangement can Seven Hills ensure a peaceful resolution and maintain our treaty. The sooner this demand is met, the greater the chances that we shall see the end of this dispute. The Cartha elders cannot contain their horror at these words. Seven Hills asks the unthinkable to hand over their precious children into the hands of brutes to whatever fate they see fit with no promise of return or even kind treatment during their stay. But they have no choice. There will be no negotiation. With no army or time, the elders of Cartha show an example of sacrifice to their people. And in great despair, the next morning, they lead their innocent babes, some of them as young as five years old, their bright eyes unaware of their terrible fate. Holding hands in a line, they are marched like cattle to the slaughter, into the dark, foul hull of a warship. The men stand firm, and despite the tears of grief and shame in their own eyes, they hold back hysterical mothers as they beat their chests raw, as they rip hair from their own heads until their fingers are bloody. As the ship pulls away from the shore, some of them throw themselves into the water, clawing at the sides of the ship, their moans drowning into the tide. Still more sit kneeling at the beach, screaming and weeping at big water as the ship slowly disappears past the horizon. One of the elders turns to Marshal Manley, who is there to witness the ordeal. Does this now make it right with Seven Hills? Manley strains his face and points to the women, still weeping at the horizon. What a spectacle, he sneers. You act as if you'll never see them again, as if we will mistreat your precious cargo in some way. Makes me think that perhaps you do not expect to see them again. I assure you, replies the elder, Cartha only wants peace with Seven Hills. Hmm, well then you will make it right with us, Manly says in a frigid glare. And by morning, the people of Cartha shall deliver us every weapon they have within the city. But, but Marshal, implores the elder, did handing over our own flesh and blood not show you our good faith? Did we not show Seven Hills how much we wish for peace? Yes, peace. You speak of peace. What use do you have then for weapons? It makes me question your intentions. But, Marshal Manley, how are we to... You are not in a position to do anything right now. So I suggest you comply with our demands. Every weapon. And you and your city shall be spared. And so it was. By morning, the people of Cartha 
have collected every weapon in their arsenal and deliver it to Marshal Manley at the gates. It is an impressive sight. Several wagons weighed down with spears and shields, armor and helmets in piles the height of two or three men, and then the missile weapons. Cartha's archers line up one by one to lay their bow and quiver on the ground, some hesitating a moment to ponder the circumstances, only to be pushed along by Seven Hills soldiers. Once the deed is done, the Cartha soldiers, now just regular citizens, quietly fall back to within the city gates. Marshal Manley, with a look of smugness on his face, turns to the city elder as he follows the soldiers in. Not a bad arsenal for such a peaceful people. The elder replies, Shall we have peace then? Oh, there's nothing we would like more, replies Manley. That is why, today, when you return to the safety of your city, you will announce to your people that they are to evacuate the city within the week and with nothing more than what they can carry. Every Cartha shall make a new home in the desert beyond the coastal waters and they shall never return here again. The elder responds in disbelief. That was not the deal. There is only one deal and it is what I say. I speak for Seven Hills, and I do it in the name of peace. If you are to make good with us, you will deliver this message to your people at once. The elder turns towards the gates. You are in no position to object. The elder continues to the gate, and as it is closed behind him, Manley turns to Sansorin. We are so close, my friend. Imagine how far Seven Hills has come, and how much power we now wield, that you can conquer these savages without even raising a weapon. They yield to their fate. If they know what is best for them, the Cartha shall by morning be marching into the desert to die, and we shall absorb their city and their wealth. Sansorin replies with a shrug. Let us hope they know what is best for them, that we have not pushed them too far. Because that, dear listener, would be a sad tale indeed. A civilization older than time itself, traders and explorers, who settled the far reaches of big water all those centuries ago, where their gods built sturdy walls to shelter a rich and opulent culture, only to be abandoned in a simple trick. It would not be much of a story. But as things go, in the morning, both Manly and Sansorin, flanked by their men-in-arms, come to witness the exodus. They are eager to seal the final fate of the Cartha people. The gates open, and one by one, each of the elders are rolled into the dust. Their bodies have no cuts nor stab wounds. 
but they have been savagely beaten to a pulp. Their heads and faces are so mutilated that it is hard to tell who is who, but the message is clear. From above the gates, between the fortified crenellations, stands the daunting silhouette of none other than Hasdrubal, commander of the Kartha warriors. As the last of the bodies is dumped, without a word, the gates are closed and locked, and Hasdrubal, without a word, disappears behind the wall, and the people of Kartha await their terrible destiny. Yes, dear listener, Manly and Sansorin too thought that this would be the end of our story. But alas, Kartha lives another day, but not for long. And while their days are numbered and their fate is sealed, the people of Kartha will live a whole life of misery and war before they die. And when death finally comes, it will be a glorious maelstrom of fire and misery, one that will bring the best and the worst of mankind in an infernal funeral pyre that the world will never forget. soon the final episode for real this time will be made available on the story engine podcast please tell a friend about the podcast and visit our facebook page for news and updates until then i'm tristan verboven this is the story engine thanks for listening <laughs>